May peace be with you. If you stick around at the end, there's more information about our community and how to find us. And now, here's this week's Centering Scripture, followed by the sermon. Our first scripture is from Philippians chapter 4, verses 12 through 14 and 19 through 20. I know what it is to be brought low, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret. Whether on a full stomach or an empty one, in poverty or plenty, I can do all the things through the one that gives me strength. Still, it was kind of you to want to share in my hardships. And the second scripture is from Matthew, chapter 22, verses 1 through 10. Then Jesus spoke to them again in parables. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like this. There was a ruler who prepared a feast for the wedding of the family's heir. But when the ruler sent out workers to summon the invited guests, they wouldn't come. The ruler sent other workers, telling them to say to the guests, I have prepared this feast for you. My oxen and fattened cattle have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding. But they took no notice. One went off to his farm, another to her business, and the rest seized the workers, attacked them brutally, and killed them. The ruler was furious and dispatched troops who destroyed those murderers and burned their town. Then the rulers said to the workers, the wedding feast is ready, but the guests I invited don't deserve the honor. Go out to the crossroads in the town and invite everyone you can find. And the workers went out into the streets and collected everyone they met, good and bad alike, until the hall was filled with guests. Ah, we'll let Barbara move and go relax, sit by your husband, thank you. All right, I think, I think she's been hired, don't you? <laughs> so Barbara Nelson, our pianist, my name is Pastor Ann Fitzgerald, Mark Tainter is our, is our um, cantor, and Allison, Carol Alice is our, our um, liturgist this morning. So grateful to have each and every one of you with us today, whether you are here in the sanctuary or you are part of our online community. We love having each and every one of you here with us at St. Luke. So let's pause. Being the guest of a monarch hmm, is messy and complicated, isn't it? Being the guest of a monarch, right? Messy and complicated invitation. Let's, friends, let's start at the top with the basic discomfort that the term king, right, if I use king, I'm not using the inclusive language terminology, am I? But let's explore the text using this male term for just a minute while we're doing our exegetical work, looking at the biblical piece of this. And I promise I will become inclusive when we get to the application. All right? A queen would not have been a host of a wedding. She simply wouldn't have been the host. A queen would not expect people to dress up, wear fancy clothes, and kind of be presentable. 
A she would not issue an invitation. A she probably was not taught to read or write. So you know this segment of the gospel is an allegory. And you know these texts can be used to advance cruel and false lines of who can be in the church and who can't. And there are many passages in the Bible that can be twisted to define who is inside and who is outside, right? And so we have to be careful when we look at that text and put it into historical context and religion of that time period. We need to take the text and look at it through the lens of Jesus' love, right? When we're looking at the text through Jesus' love, it comes across differently. And here's another hint. We count on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. When we look and listen for the Holy Spirit, we're going to hear it in a particular way for our time. It becomes our clue. So let's come back to Matthew 21 and look at it as an allegory. The monarch is God, and the wedding guests are humanity. Who responds yes to the invitation? The way the text is presented is that there were many invitees invitees to this wedding who turned down the invitation. And with the empty table, the king sends his servants out to invite and fill the table up with people who weren't considered first-string guests. The allegory is the monarch invites expected guests first. They are the religious scholars, the people who go to worship, the people who pray, and the people who show up at the temple. And some of those folks, some of them, snub the invitation. So the king sends out the staff to gather the unexpected guests, And in that time period, you needed to present yourself for a wedding feast in fine clothes, be well-groomed, and have a degree of fanciness about you. So these second wave of guests are really just very ordinary people. The servants go out and find whoever they can along the sides of the streets. Poor people, people who aren't friends of the, the monarch, and frankly, anyone the servant can convince to show up. The allegory is about inclusivity. Really, it's about responding to God's call to the invitation. The invitation goes out wide. First layer, second layer. All right, Who's expected? Who shows up? And then it happens again and again. The initial wave of invitation is to the rich and the acceptable guests. And they have better things to do. They have business to attend to, farm fields to work in, and so there are empty seats. And the second wave, yeah, those are people who don't look like the monarch. They don't look like the group that he usually hangs out with. And in this, Jesus is what I would say poking and provoking, right? He's poking and provoking. Who do you think is a worthy guest at this table? Who's worthy? 
It's implied. You should know better, you who claim to have a good relationship. You, in fact, are the poor guests. And by the way, the monarch god is going to go out and find others and invite them to the table, the table that others rejected. It's a poking and a provoking. By the end of the parable, the hall was full, and God's invitation to partake of the great banquet is not restricted to Jews and religious people. It is an invitation that goes wide to the kingdom of God. It's now open for all, without distinction, even to those who seem unworthy. So we get a taste of God's goodness and mercy and a kind of generosity that we all hope for. I promised I would circle back to an application. In the last couple of years, I've been a student of Christopher James and his work on new church development in a post-Christian world. I believe this is where it connects with St. Luke's concern on how we are going to grow and be a vital community. Christopher James has done a lot of work on faith communities in some of the most unchurched cities in the United States, Boston, San Francisco, and Seattle. It's where people are religiously unaffiliated. You've heard the term nuns or a nun, N-O-N-E. They have no religion. Um, So he's really spent his time studying there, and particularly in the the community of Seattle and the West Coast, because there's something really unique there that is actually showing us a wave of the way that the future of our country is going. It's urban, it's multicultural, it's high-tech, it's fluid, there's a lot of movement, and there are a lot of people who don't have deep community roots there. So these are things that are happening across our country. Christopher James studied churches that began in the year 2000. And then he's coming, looping back to them in 2014 to see who is still vibrant, which faith communities are doing meaningful, engaged, significant ministries where people are participating. He calls that model of the future church Neighborhood incarnation, right? I'm going I'm to come to some really theological terms today, but I'm, we're, we're St. Luke. We can go deep, right? Uh, neighborhood incarnation. It's a church that discerns God's call for discipleship and joins the Spirit in a missional initiative. And a key hallmark of the successful church is prioritizing hospitality. You see where this banquet metaphor is tying in, right? Prioritizing hospitality as a cornerstone practice. The successful church in a post-Christian and post-Christendom world, he says, recasts the church as both guest and host. The church is guest and host. It's not the way we've tended to think about ourselves. And there is a cycle in this new ecclesiological identity, right? Who are we as church and how we act as church? 
The guest and the host model informs a spiritual orientation, and it informs a mission perspective. As a guest, all right, if we think of ourselves as guests, not giver, but receivers, we will be humbly dwelling in our neighborhood, and we will see our neighborhoods as having something to teach us. We are here because we can benefit from our neighborhood. Not that we're here because we got all the answers, but because our neighborhood has something to teach us. And so we are guests. We sometimes do this when we do our land acknowledgement. We are on this place, right? That's a place I think St. Luke understands. We are guests on this place, and our lives are enriched when we see ourselves as guests in this place. As a guest, we seek to find a way that we become dependent on the hospitality of others. We become dependent on others. As a host, right, if we go to the other side of that, we are intentional about building new relationships and inviting others into our conversation. As a guest, the church confesses that it dwells in God's world seeking to find and forge a partnership with the Holy Spirit's local initiative. As a host, the church invites welcome and attends to God's presence in the midst of communities of belonging. And so these overlapping and intertwined postures of guests and hosts to the world express God's true nature of what the church should be. Let me close this by coming back to where do we see this. We see this in Luke's account after Easter. It's often called the road to Emmaus story. Right? The crucifixion has happened, and two disciples are walking along the road to Emmaus, and they are chatting with one another, and they are, they are downhearted. Their heads are hung low, and they are reviewing what has happened in the previous days. And suddenly a third person comes up upon them. And that third person says, tell me what's going on. Share with me why you are sad. What is the, the conversation around your community? And they walk together for quite a while. And they experience something powerful in telling this stranger actually someone they think is a foreigner. They find comfort in sharing their stories with him. And they find so much comfort that as it approaches evening, they invite the stranger to come home with them. Come, you need a place to stay. Come, sit at our table. We'll feed you. They get into their home And they start the meal, and Jesus offers to give the blessing, right? They've extended, they've been host, and suddenly they are guests of the risen Christ. Because they reached out, they are blessed with this gift. Their eyes are opened. They understand who they are eating with. 
And because they have taken that action of extending, offering hospitality, they themselves are deeply blessed, deeply blessed. And so that first encounter is actually when we know that Christ has really risen. It's an exchange of a conversation with a stranger who becomes the teacher, who becomes the host, and is finally revealed as the presence of Christ among them. The church as guest and host resonates with the experience of the bewildered disciples. They host a stranger and they become guests at Christ's table. At the same time, the church strives to follow the way of Jesus, who appeared as a foreigner, asked his fellow travelers what they were talking about, listened, heard their emotion-filled stories of loss and confusion, and then they were offered a new perspective. Jesus received hospitality and spoke a word of blessing. The church, this church, as a guest and host, humbly can move towards a relationship with both neighbor and stranger, with fellow travelers. If we, parts of us are already there doing amazing things, but we continue to move into this place of neighborhood incarnation, we will find conversation partners who are eager to set this table with us. It will be more and more a shared rich feast. We will bring spiritual expectations. We will be blessed with spiritual gifts. The guest may become our teacher. When we host, we will invite Christ's presence into this place. And we say, thanks be to God. Amen. As a church located on Lakota land in Minnetonka, Minnesota, St. Luke is a joyful, inclusive, intergenerational, and compassionate community on a spiritual journey seeking to do justice, make peace, and to walk humbly with God. We invite you to join us live for virtual worship each Sunday morning on Facebook or YouTube, or by following the worship links on our website, stluke.mn. Thanks for listening. May you go in peace.